Technology Media presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with postdoctoral researcher for Columbia University and 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference GEM Outstanding Young Alumnus Awardee, Dr. Yasmin Feliz, for a conversation on Blazing Your Own Path. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Yasmin Feliz. Dr. Feliz tackles big challenges and upon embarking on her PhD journey has worked to solve one of the most pressing global problems in healthcare the inaccessibility to affordable medical imaging used for helping diagnose and treat conditions ranging from pregnancy complications to cardiovascular malignancies. Within her first year of studies, she was awarded the National GEM Consortium Fellowship in 2015 and is now considered a subject matter expert in 3D printing low-cost technology for use point of care in developing regions. With her PhD at Columbia University completed, Dr. Feliz is launching her startup, Ultrasonos, distributing the first ever imaging system that generates 3D sonograms for under $300 in materials cost, paving the way for ultra-affordable modalities to enter the ultrasound market and be used in remote patient management, especially during COVID-19 times when patients can monitor their health at home via telemedicine consults to avoid trips to the hospital. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Brandon, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of High Tech Sunday. I'm saying wow because I am absolutely excited about today's conversation, Blazing Your Own Path. And our guest today is clearly doing just that, Dr. Yasmin Feliz. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. I was absolutely blown away by that intro, and I'm looking forward to learning more about the uh, work that you've been doing and clearly the passion behind it. But to get things started, I'm going to calm myself down and give us some time to actually find out a little background information about you. And we like to do that as we get into the conversation. I think of it kind of like the elevator introduction. And so with that as kind of a model, can you talk to us a little bit about who Yasmin Feliz is? We got a little bit about your professional background, but why did you choose to pursue that pathway? And when did you know that that was the career for you? Yes, yes. So firstly, I'm a scientist and an engineer with a passion for learning. I enjoy solving engineering challenges related to healthcare and low resource areas that can improve the quality of life. So I enjoy giving back and helping others in my community work towards their professional dreams as well. So from an early age, I understood the importance of education and how it will empower you no matter your social or economic background. It will give you a voice. And I also really love animals. I enjoy volunteering in animal shelters. I started up a nonprofit called Rescue Friends to help disabled animals find homes. So that's my little hobby. <laughs> but Basically, my backstory is that at nine years old, I moved to Bronx, New York with my mother, a single mother, and it was a challenging time for us. So my mother was working two jobs and she always told me, I only have one job and that job is to go to school and get, get an education. And that was the way that I was able to give back to my home is by becoming educated. So she was really into education and continues to be. And what I would always hear about was her struggles. So she grew up in the Dominican Republic. She had a large family, nine siblings, and they were struggling economically. So she was given and awarded this amazing opportunity to go study in Cuba, to study medicine in Cuba, which she wanted to do, but she couldn't because 
she had to stay home and help with caring for her siblings. So I always thought about that. I always thought about the sacrifices that she had to make that others had to make for me to get to where I am. So I took that job that I have, which is education really seriously. And that is pretty much what, what drives and motivates me. And what I tried to do was figure out what it is that I like, like inside of engineering. In school, I enjoyed math and science. To me, it was always a lot of fun, right? And so what I did while I was in high school is that I took what are called college now classes. And this was pretty much, you know, ahead of my time. I wanted to understand what discipline I would like and what discipline I would enjoy. So I tried to do that in order to better clarify what my major should be. So that's pretty much how I got started and selected this, this engineering background. Wow, that was a great tee up. And, and I'll tell you, as we uh, go along, I have a habit of trying to identify headlines as uh, we're going through different uh, parts of the conversation. And what I got out of that was this inspiration from your mother. My job is to take care of you. So I got to do two jobs to make that happen. You've got one, and that is to get your education. And you took that to heart. And I'm sure that uh, she has got to be feeling pretty good that you did your job well. So uh, let, let's stay on that topic for just a little bit, because you said that you t did the college now classes. You were kind of already blazing your path because you kind of suggested that that really wasn't a thing back then um, as much maybe as it is now. So as you were doing that and you said that you kind of started to feel out what are the things that I enjoy. So tell us, what is that passion? Uh, how would you articulate it? What, what motivates you to get up out of bed every morning and, and continue doing what you're doing? What was it that you found out? Yeah. So for me, it's really living with a purpose. Honestly, that was ingrained into me since I was a, a child. My my father, he 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 is a very um passionate, right? And he's passionate about spirituality. So my father believes in re reincarnation, right? He's always told us we we came into this body because it was it it was it was a choice, right? But also because we have also experienced other bodies. And what he would tell me is that you could have come back as an ant. You could have come back as a, a dog on the street. You could have come back as anything. And you came back into this body for a reason. And with that, I always try to try and live this life for the purpose and appreciate every day that I have in this body. And I came into this body to be able to do certain things. And for me, that really is to help and give back. And that gives me total fulfillment. So when I was in middle school, I was like in the sixth grade, I attended my first STEM workshop. And before then I had never heard about STEM at all. <laughs> I, had, I didn't have much experience in that area. And so for me, that allowed me to see that okay, there is this whole different area where I could build things and I can build planes or I can build medical devices. And it all to me felt so out of reach when I was nine years old growing up in the Bronx. But then as, as things progressed, I figured out what are the steps that I need to get to that point. And I didn't do that alone. For me, that took mentors and, and mentorship. And so that's a, uh, actually a great segue to uh, what I wanted to talk about next. But again, the headline, as we think about how your own spiritual journey has informed uh, your STEM pathway, uh, bottom line is you said it a few times now, you are driven by purpose. You are driven by, you are passionate about making your purpose fulfilled um, with the life that you've been given. And so it really is clear then that as you are being this, I'll call it trailblazer, blazing your own path, uh, that that is something that has been informed even from your youth. So you are the 2021 Women of Color Gem Outstanding Young Alumnus recipient. That is so cool. So tell us your thoughts about receiving this honor. When did you find out and, and what does it mean to you? Yes, yes. I was so excited to hear that I'd be nominated for this. It was fast. Like, for example, I was approached 
to help put together the nomination packet like days before it was due. So it was a mission to get everything together, but we did. And I like to say that the first feeling that I had was just a feeling of recognition, right? Being recognized. And that's something that we as as minorities in the field or as, as women in the field, we struggle so much with is receiving that recognition. And I just felt once again that with the GEM community, there is that sense of support, that sense where we look out for each other and we try to improve the other person as best we can. So it just took one person within that organization to remember me where I came from and where I am now to then nominate me. So I was very glad that that happened. So yeah, overall, I was, I just feel great to be recognized and that others see the, the struggles of what I went through and where I am now and are able to appreciate that I'm able to give back. I love that. And it's really exciting to think about the fact that we're just now weeks away from the 2021 Women of Color conference and it's going to be exciting to see you and other outstanding women of color uh recognized on the global i used to say national but it's global stage and so we're getting an opportunity as we're talking to you today to drill down a little bit on lessons learned and in order for us to talk about that in regards to your journey wanted to tee it up by considering uh, your first research opportunity. So how did you actually get started on your research journey and what type of research did you or are you doing? Yes, yes. So my first research experience started off freshman year in college. I mean, I, I got into Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. It was a tough school and I had gone through a year of coursework and it was it was challenging, right? So I was like, wow, you know, these classes are tough. The first thing I want to do is really understand if I'm going to go through three more years of challenging coursework and be passionate about what I'm doing. <laughs> so let me try and test this out. Let me get some, some real world experience. So I approached this professor who I happened to do well in her class and I thought she would be open and receptive. So I approached her and she was one of my first mentors. And she gave me two options. So she said, there's one option. You can either help my current PhD student with data collection. You can help collect data and then look through the data and give final results. There is also option two. Option two was the most difficult option. It was, you can clear up this underground bunker, like literally this lab in the basement that hasn't been used. You can clear that out, order your own equipment, put together the, the team and whatever you need and create a surface coating that can be used for metals to restrict bacterial adhesion. So basically create an antimicrobial surface. And I was like, wow, okay, you know, I'm 18 years old and I'm willing to try this. I'm willing to tackle it. And that's what I chose, option two, because I wanted the most rewarding experience and to be able to make that impact. So being given that initial opportunity and taking it upon myself to, to try opened up many other doors for me. So after that experience, I was able to apply to symposiums for research. I was able to start giving research talks and then getting better opportunities and internships. So just putting yourself out there and exposing yourself to these obstacles in the beginning can be pretty rewarding. That I so I was gonna I was gonna ask you as you teased up the two options, uh, helping the the grad student or uh, going into the dungeon bunker and and getting that uh, research ready. Which one did you choose? And so you you cut right to the chase there. And and so I was gonna ask you about lessons learned. Uh, and it sounds like you shared with us them already. Putting yourself out there uh, and also being willing uh, to actually go the path that isn't necessarily the easiest one. Would you say that there were other lessons that you learned from that first experience that you just described? Yes, yes. That experience for me was very eye-opening in terms of what it is to be a, a woman in science. 
So just to give you some background there, the initial team that I put together included undergraduate students, master's students, and I had already developed this process, which was pretty repeatable. So I would bring others on board and we would train them so that we can have a higher output. And I got to point out, you're 18, 19, and you put together a team of yeah. undergraduate and graduate students. So folks who are more experienced, further along in their, uh, their academic development, but here you are leading a team, and you're only 18 months out of high school. So, so uh, that, that to me is just amazing, the confidence that you had to have. But you, you've got this repeatable process. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but that, that just doesn't happen. And uh, so you're, you're seeing the, the trailblazing already. Uh, so you got the repeatable process and, and uh, you were saying? Yes, yes, it, it, it was. And it was different for me because I enjoyed it and I enjoyed that challenge. Well, my friends tended to stay away from research. They thought it would be mundane, re repeatable, boring, but it's not. It's really, if you're passionate about that project, it's going to be really exciting. So while I was training others, there was this part, this first individual I encountered that strictly opposed to being taught by me, right? And mm -hmm. it was personal. It was on a personal level. I mean, I would try and teach him how to go through this process and the person would literally leave the room. Wow. And yeah, it was bad and i had not experienced that and at first i couldn't pinpoint why but i noticed that when others would teach him he was way more just understanding and open to receiving information but when it came from me he would shut down so i had to have this difficult conversation with him about what's going on you know we're supposed to be a team we're supposed to work together what's going on and the first thing he said to me was oh, I don't think your process is the best. Hmm. Okay, all right. Interesting, I said, okay, so what is your process, right? What are you doing that's better? And what are your results? He, he's like, well, you know, I'm working on it. I'll have something. I was like, okay, put it together over the weekend. We'll come back Monday. We'll do mine and we'll do yours, right? You're an engineer. Hmm. You're smart. I trust you. Maybe you can improve upon this, but show me what you got. <laughs> That was basically how that went. And we all know how that went. My process was already done, confirmed, and there wasn't a, a better process that he was able to come up with at that point. But it made it so that at least I was open and receptive to his ideas and his feedback. And maybe I could make some changes, you know. Maybe he wanted to adjust a part of the process, and I was open to it as long as it could work for both of us. But that's the thing. It was really trying to understand why and overcome these obstacles and deal with these different personalities. So as a woman in STEM, no matter what degree you have, when you walk into a room, you feel the need to almost prove yourself. Even if you come in with a PhD, it's almost like you feel it when you walk into a room filled, filled with men. And so for me, that was the first shocking experience that I had. And so I was going to say that uh, there are so many, um, you, you name it, unconscious bias situations, micro inequities, outright discrimination. Let's just face it, you're a woman, young woman of color leading uh, in your field. And so uh, you're, it, it's still the case today that a lot of these uh, STEM careers are being, uh, per, these positions are occupied by mostly men. And so how would you say that you've been able to push through these, uh, this thing that you feel? You say that, that you can feel almost the, the need to prove yourself. So, so how do you push through that? How have you, how have you dealt with that? Because I got to tell you, the story that you just gave us, not all of us would have had the, I guess, the character to be open in the way that you were uh, because the guy was challenging you. Uh, and so for the sake of the team, it sounds like you were like, okay, let, let's just see uh, if there's something here. A lot of us would have taken a much different approach. Uh, and so, so kudos to you, but how have you pushed through that on the regular? Yeah, yeah, and of course that wasn't the only experience. It, it comes and it goes, and, and you feel that in different stages and in different ways as you progress your career. It's not as in your face as in the beginning, but that feeling, 
that you, you feel invalidated without even saying a word is, is strong sometimes. And for me, I try not to take it personal, which is always my main thing. And it's allowed me to develop thick skin. I don't take it personal. I know that overall, everyone has gotten to this point based off of hard work and they just want to make sure you did the same. So sometimes it involves a little bit more of, of being more straightforward than I would like to be, you know, speaking about the things I've done and, and speaking about my credentials, which is not typically what I'm like, but with some personalities, they have to feel like you earned your way there, right? That you didn't take shortcuts. When I, exactly. when I was awarded the National Science Foundation GRFP, which is a really great award, it covered my PhD education some comments that I heard, they weren't directed towards me, but I heard them about me were, wow, you know, a woman, a minority woman, of course she would get it. We, we don't stand a chance. And it's just, it, it sucks because these are your peers that are with you in the same lab, uh, working towards this PhD together. These are your peers that have seen you go through all of the coursework, work just as hard as them, and they would still say this. And so, so you're, you're really touching on critically important stuff here uh, because you're wanting people to take you seriously. You're wanting folks to understand that, that you, like you said, have not only worked hard and earned everything that has come to you, uh, but you, you want your value not to be marginalized. And so what is a bit of advice that you would give young women who, who may be uh, intimidated by these kinds of situations that you've described. How, how, how can you come out of this continuing to blaze your own path? Yeah, so first thing you have to do is think positive. And they're giving you, even though it, it's sometimes not based on the, the right things, but they are giving you a platform. They're giving you this extra attention and they want to hear what you're going to say. So when you're in the classroom and you're the only woman of color in a classroom of, of 30 plus, right? Every time you raise your hand, I assure you, everyone's going to look and everyone's going to listen. So have something good to say. Um, that's just been something that I've been able to notice when, when you're in a meeting, everyone's speaking and you start, have something valuable to say and allow them to understand that you're just as qualified. And that's basically what it comes down to is not being afraid to, to, to lower, to, to show what you've done to get there and to have a voice. Don't be afraid to show what it took for you to get there and don't let your voice be silenced. That is huge, hugely important for us uh, as we are going through our careers. Not, not, and that advice that you just gave applies to more than just young people as they're entering. That's something that we have to keep in mind throughout our careers. Now, there's another topic that I understand you know a little bit about, and that is perseverance. So uh, as you were uh, looking for a research opportunity, put in like 10 or so applications, kept going even though you were told no for a number of different reasons. Why was it so important for you to find a school to do research at, and what lessons would you be able to share with us about overcoming rejection? Yes. Yes. So I was, again, this freshman, right? <laughs> I had pushed myself, found a research opportunity during my freshman year. However, I wanted the real world experience. I went to my first career fair. I came in with my resume. I handed it over to a recruiter. You know what they said? Hmm. Oh, how cute. <laughs> how cute. It's your first year. This is just for experience, but we'll keep this. But yeah, great practice. But I was serious. I really wanted an internship. And it was clear to me that I wasn't going to get that at that career fair with these amazing companies. It just wasn't going to happen. So I was like, okay, you know, I packed my bags. I went home for the summer. I went back to the Bronx, but I wanted to do something with my time. So I reached out to the nearest institution that I thought would have good research. Ironically enough, that was more than 10 years ago. I reached out to professors at Columbia University 
And I sent out, well, yeah, what was it? Like 10 emails. I got two responses. (laughs) One was, sorry, no. (laughs) The other one was, I'm willing to entertain this, but you do understand you're extremely underqualified. (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, come in for an interview and we took it from there. But the, I guess just not being afraid of that rejection and still coming into that interview, meeting with someone who, who had worked in chemical engineering, biomedical engineering for over 40 years at the university and still willing to plead a case for yourself took guts and he recognized it. And so he gave me the option to work over the summer. And it was challenging because I was in a team of master's students, PhDs, postdocs, and I was an undergrad. Um, so for me, it was also challenging to find ways where I can where I can improve the system, where I can make an impact. So what I did was spend a lot of time listening, observing, understanding their process so that I can find one specific point where I can tweak and improve. For me, just one improvement would be enough. And that's what I was able to do. I, I gathered everyone. I said, hey, if we do this and this different, we can get this and this output. And that allowed me to get some recognition at the end. But it took some time. I mean, my voice was silent for a while. I mentioned a few things. It, it, it was like, okay, cool, we'll try next time. But you know, you really have to step in and, and interrupt the meeting and say, no, I want to try this. <laughs> and it took me a few weeks to gather up that uh, energy to do. And so as you're, as you're describing this process, it's still really uh, significant to, I think, underscore that uh, as we're, we're talking about blazing your own path, you knew that you wanted to do this, even though, and it is true still today, as, you, as I'm sure you are aware, somebody who's a freshman, you show up and companies are looking for often at least juniors and seniors, if not grad students for these internships, but you were undeterred. I know what I want and I'm going to pursue it until I get there. Uh, And so uh, you've taken the responsibility as a woman of color, as someone who is young, to drive yourself forward. And so now that you're further along in this journey, how do you drive change and make the impact or influence others in your field despite being viewed often perhaps as the minority or looked up on less as less than or or just not having your voice heard? How do you focus on making an impact? What tips do you have about that? Yeah, this is a great question because it's something that I think about every day. I mean, as as I'm going through my my daily grind, I'm I'm meeting with my team. I've recruited people from different areas, electrical engineering, mechanical, computer science, and my idea is to work together as a team. I think varied and different experiences are a plus. That involves these difficult and different personalities and people who have not been used to working with with uh, someone like me, right? But I still find value in that because they're bringing something to the table that's different. So for me, when I put together my team, I try and bring talent from different areas. So one of the first things that I look at is to see if I can find women engineers because believe, believe it or not, the women that I've interviewed and have accepted the role are the first ones that have backed out. Wow. And that to me was honestly like, it, it broke my heart. I felt bad because I was like, why are you backing out? And the response has been, oh, I just realized that I don't feel like I have enough experience and maybe I can't make such an impact in this team as I thought I could. I was like, what makes you think that? Oh, I've only gone through this and this and this. And they, they give me a list of like 12 amazing court classes, right? And I'm like, so have your other peers. They've gone through the same <laughs> coursework. So in a way, we tend to doubt ourselves. And I've tried to give uh, women and, and people from the, the diverse backgrounds more of an opportunity 
to just take on these responsibilities. So I do that actively is just engage people from my community. I encourage them to apply to, to, to other internships, to jobs. And then I also try and give back. So I've gone back to that middle school where I had my first STEM session and have talked to the students there. And it was like going back in time and talking to myself. And it was a really great experience. I've also been part of um, what's called Design Your Future Day. So where we meet with uh, young girls who come to the university and we show them around, show them the labs and get them interested. See like, wow, see, you could work here and this is something that you could do. So for me, I try and engage others in a day-to-day -day basis. And when you think about what you just said, um, uh, in particular, this this going back to your middle school and talking basically to yourself, you were inspired and now you're inspiring the next generation, so to speak. But as you've been speaking, the word that comes to mind is you are an intentional advocate. And I think of an advocate as someone who stands in the gap between where uh, someone is, maybe sees themselves in this case, and the place where they could be. So it's like you see them as they could be. They're full of potential. They're full of promise, but they don't see it themselves yet. And so you're the bridge that can help carry them over. And, and I think that we don't necessarily have enough of that because of the fact that it really does take being intentional and going the next step, not just being okay with somebody checking themselves out of the game, if you will. And so thinking about experiences like that, can you talk to us a little bit about, now this was exciting, uh, your time in Spain and some of the lessons that you learned while you were overseas as it pertains to this whole idea and pursuit of blazing your own path. Yes, yes. So my time in Spain was a great opportunity. So for me, I was approached and I was asked to go to Madrid, Spain, to the Microtechnology Center and teach them about this process that I had developed in the bunker, right? So I was going to teach them about this <laughs> anodization process. And I was all for it. But guess what? I guess who was coming with me? Hmm. The same person <laughs> that, I, that didn't want to learn from me, that same person was coming. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. And guess where we were all living together in an apartment with uh, other research students. And I was like, wow, okay. So I have to say that before we left, I did say to my faculty advisor, I don't think this is the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is the best idea, but we'll work through it. So we get to Spain. I have requested ahead of time the materials that we need so we can set up a lab space and we can teach everyone, you know, and it'll be pretty simple, right? However, it became extremely complicated because of the logistics of trying to, to work with a partner that doesn't want to work with you. So it made it so that um, the, the times that we could work were opposite. As I mentioned, I was in the lab. He was not. So it was, it was trying to figure out a way to work around this. And I believe like after the first week, I was able to just wait for him outside. And literally as he walked in, I walked in right after him. <laughs> and I said, listen, we're going to work together. <laughs> and that's how it went. I just had to be very persistent with him and say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be offended. We're working on the same process, which is my process, and we're going to do it together. And that's how that went. But it was a difficult experience because you felt like the team that you had, you're in this whole different part of the world and you're there to teach them something, but you still have to prove yourself. And when you have to prove yourself to someone that doesn't know you, and at the same time still prove yourself to someone that does, it really makes you, it could make you lack some confidence. So I tried to just really understand why I was there. I was there to teach this team. It was a great opportunity. They wanted to work with me and that's what I focused on. 
Wow, I, I I'm telling you, uh, this this whole you 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 started out when you were talking about this mm, difficult colleague, uh, saying that you had to have a difficult conversation at one point. Um, uh, uh, here where I am, we call it courageous conversations, and that really does seem to fit you that that you've had the courage to. Uh, really pursue this path. And I guess you have to if you're going to be a trailblazer. Uh, I want to pivot really quickly before uh, we hand off to our co-host and talk about your entrepreneurial side. Listening to the intro, you are a serial entrepreneur. And so uh, what have you been working on and, and how are you helping others with what it is that you are pursuing? Yeah, I'd love to be a serial entrepreneur. I am just getting started, though. <laughs> I've had a lot of ideas through the years, and I felt like I've gotten to a place now at Columbia University where I have more resources and more support than I've had before, which has allowed me to just take a deeper dive into that. So my research has focused on creating a low-cost ultrasound device that can be used in emergency situations. And the focus here is low cost, something that's not going to be extremely in prohibitive because of price, which most medical equipment is, and something that would require minimal training. So essentially, you could be anyone and you can operate this device. So that is the idea. If you're unskilled, if you're not trained, if you don't have the experience, you can still operate the device. So that has been the focus for me. And I've been able to take advantage of uh, GEM, the GEM I4 program, which is mm. more like entrepreneurial training. It's a, a boot camp session. It teaches you about business. It helps engineers put on a different cap. And at first, it's very hard to divide yourself from your technology and, in a way, find the holes in it. And that's very hard to do. So you take a step back, you look at this and you say, this is my baby that I've been working on for five years. Now, does anyone actually want it? <laughs> and that's right. Right. very hard to do, right? You have to really detach yourself and start looking at commercialization and if it's actually feasible and who would pay for this and who would want this. So that's what I've spent time doing and understanding under which applications or scenarios would they be interested in this technology. So for me, it was maternal care. And I have uh, been able to put together ultrasonos where we have created a more specialized device for use in maternal care. And specifically, we're trying to help with uh, IVF applications with scanning for ectopic pregnancy. So things like that, just really focused on improving life for women in developing regions. That work is, is just so timely and critically important. I'd love to know, um, and we're, we'll have time perhaps to, to dig deeper. I'd love to know why maternal care? Why was that something that really kind of, again, uh, spoke to you as an application for uh, this really important background in STEM that you have? But I'm going to hold off because I believe that uh, we'll get to it. But I want to hear more of the conversation as we are joined now uh, by Lango Dean, who will take us further. Hey there, Lango, how's it going? Going very well, Dr. Vaughn. How about you? I'm great and really enjoying our time with, with Dr. Feliz today. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, postdoctoral researcher for Columbia University and 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference GEM Outstanding Young Alumnus Awardee, Dr. Yasmin Feliz. Registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. Stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. The Women of Color STEM Conference, DTX. This year, we are boldly pursuing our future as never before. As women, as leaders, as champions, we reset to rise. It's a new day. Don't miss this epic platform for women and our digital twin experience giving you all that you expect from this powerful conference and more. We acknowledge your passion, your drive, your leadership, and your unwavering commitment to making this world a better place for women in STEM field. 
the Women of Color STEM Conference DTX, October 7th through the 9th, 2021. Register today at www.womenofcolor.net. Again, registration for the 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference is now open. So visit www.womenofcolor.net for more information. Now, back to the show. The conversation between you and Dr. Felice, Dr. Vaughn, has been fascinating. And Dr. Felice, as I listen to you and Dr. Vaughn uh, talk about various things that you have, the way you've navigated um, through undergrad, grad school, industry, uh, your PhD, a couple of key insights that I took away were you took stretch assignments early, reference that bunker, right? Uh, you, you handle pop-ups that came your way, that skeptical, uh, <laughs> difficult colleague that you had. Um, and you remind me of something that the 2007 technologists, Women of Color Technologists of the Year said, Shinetta Davis, she said, you learned how to have rhino hide, meaning you, you didn't take anything personally. You could step back, deal with someone who was slighting you or attempting to, and, and putting out hidden insults and you did all of that. So what advice can you offer to young people, a young person who wants to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, I think first of all, it's absolutely doable. In all honesty, it's, it's doable. And you just have to work on something that you're passionate about. If you're not sure what you're passionate about, work in multiple things, which is what I try to do. Do research in different areas, Take it a step further, go out in industry, work in different areas, see what it's like. Uh, industry and academia are entirely different. Industry is fast paced, you can forge many connections. Uh, you are most of the time better compensated, but it's more cutthroat. I'm talking about it's, it's extremely cutthroat and it's, it's not for everyone in terms of where you wanna get to in industry. In academia, you have more control over what you work on and on a daily basis, it can bring you more fulfillment and you tend to, to focus more on one study project. So I would say this area you could grow in, but it may take more time. However, what I would tell young people is to think about where they want to get to, right? Does your job require a master's? Does it require a PhD? What is that ideal job? And do you know anyone in that ideal job? Because that's something I tried to do. Can I find mentors who right now are sitting in that chair that I would want? <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many of them are willing to speak to you, right? I've gone up to VPs and asked to come in and they spoke to me and they have become some of my best mentors and have helped me throughout the years. So I would always advise them to have their eyes on the prize. What is it that they want to accomplish and see who can help them get there? So the more mentors that you find, the more opportunities you're going to be able to identify and resources. I would say join Nesby, join STEM, sorry, join Nesby, join SHEP, join GEM, join all of these organizations with a good support system. Mm. So keep your eyes on the prize, um, stay passionate, do research in different areas, do internships or find internships in industry and academia, um, find mentors, and join professional associations um, or support networks. As a minority in STEM, what is the best advice you can give a young person? I know you've given us quite a lot right there, but what other advice would you give to someone who, I mean, we've talked about, we don't know, it could have been race, you know, the kind of prickly relationship you had with your lab partner. It could have been race, it could have been your gender, it could have been sexuality, who knows what it was, but what advice would you give to a young person who comes up against these things for the very first time? Because as an adult, as a person of color, you run into these things every day. So you develop that kind of rhino height, right? But for a young person, what advice would you give to them in dealing with these things? Yeah, it's developing that rhino height. It's, it's, gonna be tough but it's it's necessary so 
of course, I would say that feedback that you get from them, that feeling, the, the things you may have heard that were directed towards you, I would say gather all of that up, listen to it, actually internalize it and see if that is really who you are. And if it's not, understand what it is that you need to do to prove them otherwise, right? So for example, if, um, if the feedback is that, let's say I am not good at say calculus, right? <laughs> oh, she's not good at calculus and you can't take her word for this. So don't listen to that formula. She's not right. It's not going to work. Uh, okay. So listen to it, internalize. All right. Am I good at calculus? Let me see. I got, I don't know, an A plus. Yeah, I'm good at calculus. Okay. So what would make them think that I'm not right? Maybe it's something that you did. So that's what I'm saying. Internalize. Maybe when you, when you stepped up to the plate, you told them this is this is the formula. Here's the result. Maybe you did it in a way that wasn't confident, right? Maybe you did it in a way where sometimes you're just not coming across as as what you would like to. So just think about it step by step and how you communicate. Because honestly, how you communicate is going to have a lot to do with how people are going to to gauge you and to gauge your professionalism, to gauge your intellect. So don't be afraid to listen to this and improve upon yourself. Hmm. So your critics can be useful. Interesting. It's back to school now. And a lot of people, a lot of college students are thinking of scholarships, um, scholarships, 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 and internships too. So what advice would you give to students about STEM scholarships particularly? What advice would you give? Yeah, I would say they're out there and they, while they're competitive, they're definitely attainable. So reach out to your, your, your office. So we had a financial aid office. We also have an office for minority student affairs, which is pretty neat and interesting. And again, the organizations, so GEM, SHEP, NSBE are going to be great resources. But for me, I also asked around professionally. I asked my peers, hey, um, how did you how did you get through your master's or who, who paid for it? Did you get a fellowship? Did you, did you get a grant? And that's actually how I heard about GEM in the first place I, from a colleague working at J&J with me. So I would say reach out, find resources, and um, there are definitely positions out there. That's wonderful. This is my last question before I turn it back to Dr. Vaughn. And right at the beginning, you talked about this support network you have where and you were acknowledging the fact that it's a group of people that look out for each other they appreciate the struggles that you went through and then of course you were nominated for for this award so what is the best advice seems to me that those within that community maybe they have a couple of mentors there too so what is the best advice you've ever received from a mentor the best ever advice well the best advice was it was a it was a quote. My mentor sent me this quote. It was a day where I, I was down, right? I was down for good reason. I had just failed my qualifying exam for my PhD and it wasn't looking good, right? And I didn't know if I was going to be given another opportunity. So it was a bad day. But I got this message and it's a quote from Michael Jordan. It said, I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Wow. Wow. I am just, like, blown away by that, you know, because, hey, Michael Jordan, I mean, <laughs> so look where he is today, you know, and you think of all the things that he went through. And um, I think... Was it last year that that documentary came out that kind of went through all his struggles and challenges and, and triumphs right through his career? So that's a pretty great quote to have. If you could just repeat that quote one more time before we throw it back to Dr. Vaughn, I'd really appreciate that. Yes, it's, I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Mm. Deep. That hit me. And that second time, I passed that exam. <laughs> Boom. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Over to you, Dr. Vaughn. Wow. Talk about a headline. So, so I'm going to use that one. Uh, I'm telling you, I have failed, which is why I succeed. Uh, it is so relatable, even though it is not easy on the down day that you were experiencing uh, to actually think about it that way. But it had to be inspirational. And like you said, you knocked it out when you did it again and look at you today. And so, uh, like I said, I want, uh, there's so many uh, questions that I'd like to hit you with rapid fire, but I said that one of the ones that I was interested in drilling down on just for a quick moment is why maternal health? What was it about that that really inspired you to do what it is that you're doing, especially with the low cost uh, ultrasonics? Yeah, so when I started off my research career, right? I started off with brainstorming. I was in a position where I would say most students want to be. I was I was pretty blessed because I came in with my own funding. So mm. that that allowed me the opportunity to pick my own That is a blessing. <laughs> that is a blessing. That is a blessing. So I sat down with my faculty advisor. He was like, "Hey, you know, you you pretty much have your own money." I don't need to work off of his grants. And so we had the flexibility to find something that was interesting for me and interesting for him and we can both contribute to. So we had several different discussions. And at the time, I was also working with another faculty member and she was pregnant at the time. And her work was on trying to prevent preterm, preterm birth, which leads to so many complications for mother and child. And what she said was like, wow, I wish there was an ultrasound or the portable ultrasound that we can buy off of Amazon that's 200 bucks and we can use and we can scan ourselves, right? I wish that that was an option because during the time her lab had around $30,000 in funding and it was about $1,000 a scan for a pregnant patient to go to the hospital. And that only wow. gave 30 data points for this that's not enough to build a model where we wanted to understand the risks for preterm labor that's not enough to build a model so we used at that time that faculty member who was pregnant she was our guinea pig <laughs> so we had to use her for all of the scans because we couldn't afford uh to bring in many other individuals so i understood this is a constraint, is a constraint. in research this is a constraint which doesn't allow for for advancements in maternal care to even happen because we have the, this kind of lack, right? And then when I was researching more, I understood that 836 women die every day from pregnancy-related complications. Wow. 99, and 99% of those cases occur in developing countries. Hmm. I was shocked. I didn't know it was that bad. And so that, to me just really gave me the incentive to try and create a device that can be used not only in research in the U.S., but internationally in low resource areas. That's phenomenal. And, and again, I think that sometimes uh, the shock of a need uh, can be a motivation for this is something that I have to help. I have to help this. And that's exactly what you're doing. So let me ask you, uh, I guess, a, a question that uh, you, you mentioned that you, you don't like to be put in a position where you have to put your credentials out there and have to prove yourself. But when it's necessary, you do. So here you are with this amazing academic pedigree, RPI undergrad, Columbia grad, now postdoc. Uh, so you got the goods. And you've got the accolades, the recognitions, the awards uh, that actually follow somebody with the goods. So which of the recognitions, the awards, the accolades would you say has kind of been the most meaningful to you? That would be the first one that I received. So remember how I went through that first year of my freshman, <laughs> my freshman year at RPI? Yeah. It was a tough year. It was very tough. I came in through the Higher Education Opportunity Program, mm -hmm. and I came in with a group of peers, around the 10 of us, maybe 13. And after that first year, less than half of us were standing. They literally wow. flunked out. 
So it was, it was, it was just shock. And I received my first recognition after that year in research. And I really felt like, wow, I made it. I made it to somewhere in the science field where someone can recognize what I've done, where I feel like I've really earned my place. And I've, and even though I came in with this HELP program, I've really earned my place. And that was my um, recognition that I got with Nobishay, National Organization of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers. Yeah. And I was giving recognition for my research that took place at that lab at Columbia University back in 2010. Yeah, for me, that was a, a very amazing opportunity because as a teen from the Bronx, I've never been rewarded something like this. Like the plaque was beautiful. I was flown out to, uh, where was it? I, I was flown out to Atlanta, Georgia. I stayed at the Marriott. Everything was beautiful. The meals were included. I, I wore gowns and it was just an amazing experience to walk across the stage, to have people acknowledge what you've done and that you've, uh, you're someone that's valuable in the scientific community. And for, for anyone, and of course, women, in, in this type of field, it's, it's really an honor. That's very cool. And, and I don't know if you've ever been to the Women of Color STEM uh, conference before, but uh, when we get back to normal, like we were pre-COVID, all the gowns and, and the, uh, the, the gala, I think that's what it's called. It's the, the marquee event. So, so uh, there are many more stages, I'm sure, that you are gonna be walking across uh, in the future. So you are embarking upon making this innovation something that the world is going to be able to take advantage of. How can people stay in touch? Do you have a social media website uh, that you can share with us so that uh, we can uh, make sure uh, that people are able to benefit from uh, what is happening right now as you are about to take off to the, to the next level? Yes, yes. So firstly, there's my LinkedIn, which I would love to be able to share with everyone. And it's linkedin.com slash in slash Yasmin Felice. And then there's also my personal website, which is www.yasminfelice.com. Got it. Thank you so much. And, and again, this is it's certainly uh, amazingly exciting time for you and your team, for sure. And so I'll ask you to do one last thing for us, if you don't mind. As we uh, wrap up this conversation, what is the encouragement that you would give the folks listening? Perhaps there are some who are thinking, like you did when you were nine years old, this STEM stuff is cool, but it's out of my reach. Or maybe there's someone who is in college right now and they are thinking, I can't do this. Or maybe they're in grad school and, well, no, you were undergrad dealing with difficult people. What, what would you say as a word of, of inspiration or encouragement as we wrap up today? I would encourage them to keep trying. There's going to be the days where you're going to feel like everything is against you, which probably is, but that feeling will pass and you will learn from it. So the main thing for you is to be able to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid of rejection. At times it'll happen, but so many other times you'll learn from it. And people are way more willing to give you an opportunity than you actually think. So again, even if you get feedback that's constructive, right? Even if it's negative, there's something positive that you can get out of that. And if there isn't something positive, at least you'll develop that thick skin. Gotcha. And, 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 and I just thought of another headline. I think that um, Lango called it rhino skin. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay, so so thank you so much, Dr. Yasmin Felice. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best as you continue this mission. It is critically important, and it is such a great thing to know uh, that there is someone like you who is leading the charge. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me today. Been a pleasure. All righty. Gonna hand it back to you, Brandon Newby, to see us out. 
thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time. It's time to get your nominations in for the Bay of STEM Awards. The honorees will be recognized at the Bay of STEM Conference held annually with a community over 10,000 strong that focuses on celebrating excellence by showcasing career opportunities and professionals in the STEM fields. The 36th annual conference will be held on February 17th through the 19th, 2022. Please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process to make sure nominations packets have everything it needs for the upcoming Bay STEM conference. All peer-reviewed nominations are due on August 31st, 2021. All Outstanding Achievement Awards are due on October 1st, 2021. Again, please visit our website at www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process.